0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Learning Curve. I'm your host, Julia McLeod. Please join me in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, enable me to teach with wisdom, for I help to shape the mind. Equip me to teach with truth, for I help to shape the conscience. Encourage me to teach with vision, for I help to shape the future. Empower me to teach with love, for I help to shape the world. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of Treaty 6 and Métis Nation of Alberta Region 4 in which many Indigenous peoples have come before us to call home. We acknowledge the contributions that the Indigenous peoples have provided to help shape our past, present and future. We commit to restoring and honouring the truth and reconciliation calls to action and believe that together our collective communities can build a stronger understanding of all people who dwell on this land and who call it home. We are recording today from our beautiful new studios here at Lumen Christi, our common home in Edmonton Catholic schools. Today's episode title is, well-being and self-care in education. The agenda for today's episode begins with our segment, TSA, Tricky Situations and Assessment with Nicole Lafreniere, our Director of Curriculum and Assessment. In this segment, Nicole will help us navigate and land on solutions to difficult situations in assessment. Today's guest is Brett Barron, our phys ed and wellness consultant for secondary. Brett will speak to us about well-being and wellness and how we can consider ways in which we take care of our own selves as teachers and how we bring that into the classroom to support well-being for our students. Then we'll have our segment, We're Still Doing That, with Deputy Superintendent Tim Cusack, where we'll explore outdated assessment practices and gain solutions to help us move forward. That's the plan for today. Let's jump right in. Assessment can be overwhelming for many teachers. When we think of student well being, teacher well being truly comes first. What advice do you have for teachers? So when you're on an airplane
1: and you're headed to uh, Mexico or wherever it is that you're going, uh, you're going to hear the um, the flight attendant say that in the case of an emergency, put your own oxygen mask on first. And I think that that's something that we need to remember as teachers because we can give and give and give until we're depleted. And uh, we want to keep that love of teaching and of our students and uh, we wanna keep that alive and well. One of the things that I think that we need to do in, at, as teachers in order to keep that uh, alive is to constantly be learning ourselves because that, that certainly for me, that fills my bucket. Uh, I, when I know that I can get better at something, when I'm working with colleagues in a way that makes my brain stretch a little bit, uh, that can be both uncomfortable and exhilarating because I'm, I'm, I know that I'm learning, and I know I'm being pushed a little bit in my thinking, and that means I'm going to be pushed a little bit in my, in my practice. So one of the things that I would really uh, challenge teachers to do is, as you're thinking about, for example, your professional growth plan for the year, don't think about. Uh, that your professional growth plan is being something that's so wildly separate from whatever your school is doing. So if your school has focused on uh, whatever it is, let's say literacy, and we're going to be looking at reading uh, reading data, well, is there something in reading that makes you really excited about? And maybe reading data isn't it, but maybe it's about learning how to create a culture of reading in your classroom. Maybe it's around finding new, uh, new and interesting novels that kids are gonna be passionate about. So that you're dovetailing whatever the school focus is with something that you love. And uh, because it's when you find that, that piece that is still really making you happy as a teacher, Uh, that you're going to find that you can continue to be well as a teacher. And knowing that there are boundaries that you can set as well, Um, and that you can say, you know what, we're going to be doing this. Uh, We have to do this assessment and this assessment. Are there some things that maybe I don't need to do anymore? Maybe it was an assignment that you loved to do, and it was so much fun, but it's just not fitting anymore in the schedule and because and because it's not it's you're finding that stressful it's okay that's okay let that one go and find other places where you can bring in that that sense of passion Uh, we have to keep ourselves well uh, because if we're not regulated we can't help the kids regulate and if the kids are dysregulated no one's learning so we really want to make sure that we are uh, bringing our best selves and that means filling our
0: buckets the show, Brett. It's wonderful to have you
2: here today. Great to be here.
0: Uh, a bit about yourself <coughs> and your career so far.
2: Um, yeah. So I've been in the classroom for over fifteen years. I've been in elementary, junior high, high school, and then I was lucky enough to uh, become the consultant of phys ed, health, and wellness here at uh, Learning Services. Um, I've taught overseas. Um, uh, I did that for a year after I graduated in 07 and um, yeah, I came back to uh, Edmonton Catholic. I grew up in Edmonton Catholic, so um, it was kind of a natural fit, as uh, as many people uh, here do, come back to teach uh, after going through the, their schooling careers. Um, yeah, so it's been it's been a great journey. And I think there's a lot that kind of goes into the desire to be a consultant, because certainly you want to you want to work with teachers, you want to work with administrators, um, senior admin, uh, but certainly just the desire and the passion to share the love of that subject area or discipline with your colleagues and the larger educational community. So um, for me, health, phys ed, wellness, those are huge passions of mine. And there's something that, um, you know, even like, even when I'm done at, at an office or in a building or a school, like those things don't turn off. Um, there's something that, that stay, stay with me, you know, 24 seven, it's, it's a part of who I am. So in terms of uh, my interest in learning services, it would just be a, a matter of, of sharing those pieces with the larger community and, and really engaging, um, you know, with, with people like yourself and and doing podcasts or whatever it might be in terms of sharing it with the larger school communities.
0: So what we're gonna try to do today with uh, the episode is we're gonna try to connect uh, this idea of health and wellness and well being for students to outcomes-based assessment. So there's a concept of mastery we talk to teachers about Mm -hmm. in outcomes-based assessments. So students are working towards mastery of these learning outcomes and, and mastery fits into Health and well-being as well. So, absolutely. How does this concept of promoting mastery impact students' sense of self-efficacy and their confidence in their learning abilities?
2: That's a that's a lot to unpack there, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> where where should we where should we begin, right? I mean, there's there's a piece of this whole understanding of of what is wellness, and I think it's it's part and parcel of the idea of what we know as schools as well, right? Because as as schools, a lot of the time, I think we're very focused on curriculum and that curriculum or to be a good school or to be a good teacher, the mastery of the curriculum means that those grades are going to be here and that our students' understanding of curriculum is also here. And I think when you bring in the topic of wellness or at least traditionally, sometimes what happens with wellness Is that it becomes this topic of just being an add-on or this piece that just sort of is like, it's here for a day. We're having a wellness day, right? Rather than something that is unfolded and is a slow learning process. And is something that, that we grow into, um, so. I think right now we're we're situated in a in a really great spot where this paradigm is is starting to slowly change, and we can even see those pieces emerge within the new curriculum. Um, having said that, sometimes the understanding of wellness is just really unclear, right? And that it's like, well, I have wellness in you know maybe these eight different dimensions, and I've got financial wellness, and I've got spiritual wellness and i've got my physical wellness and my community wellness right so how do you get a handle of all those things and to find somebody out there that has you know you know all these great avenues of wellness right it's like yes i've i've hit all my all my pieces and and now i am the guru right like it just doesn't happen like that right and i think um i think life is more complex than that and it continually throws situations and circumstances that, uh, that make us uncomfortable and, and, and challenge us. And I think the, the greater aspect of wellness is how we look at those situations and how we look at those circumstances and our paradigm and our understanding and, and, and how we view those as part of our greater understanding of life, right. And that the challenge that is brought to us is quite often the catalyst for improvement or the catalyst for, for leveling up. And so when we, when we look at it, that even maybe some of the, the more difficult things that happen in our lives, in our student lives, are ultimately to our greatest benefit. Um, th- that can be a really wonderful challenge. A very hard one sometimes to, to wrap our head around um, but I think a wonderful challenge is uh, something that, that that I've certainly learned over the years and there's been lots in my life too that I can attest to. So yeah, it's um, in terms of handling it from a level of self-efficacy, uh, I would like to see the understanding that, that wellness is a daily part. It's, it's a piece. It, it enhances instruction and curriculum rather than the single add-on or the one-off or, you know, the, the celebration day. So those, those pieces when, um, I mean, they're, they're large <laughs> and, uh, they can be a little overwhelming, but once we, once we can sort of integrate that, that wellness and curriculum, I think education at large will be in a much greater place to help Serve not only the people, like well, everyone within the building, not only just our students, but our staff, or you know in, anyone who who comes into a school in itself, right? Will will be able to sort of feel feel the growth rather than necessarily always the instructional demand. So yeah, again, I mean, I don't know if that answers all of your question or piece of pieces of it, but um, for me personally, that's that's what I see. Um, the great benefit of education, but also one of the great challenges mm-hmm. as well.
0: Let's circle back to self-efficacy, um, talking about that self-efficacy piece for students as a catalyst mm-hmm. to their learning, a catalyst to those learning outcomes. Um, could you define what you understand to be self-efficacy?
2: Um, life's greatest challenge, <laughs> right? Um, I think the, the understanding Well, let me, let me kind of back that up. I think at some point, right. I think, you know, as a kid, if we look, you know, I remember especially my days in elementary, I look at some of those kids in kindergarten grade one and grade two, and they just believe they are the best, right? Like, you know, I am amazing. I'm, I could do this. I'm I'm great at that. Right. And, you know, I'm such a fast runner. I'm a great drawer. I can color the best, you know, like whatever it might be. Um, You know, it's like, and if we could just capture that in a bottle <laughs> <laughs> and run with it. Right. But somewhere along the line, um, somebody says that you're not good enough. Right. Or you're not part of this group or you can't do that. Right. And so what happens is, is that we change our behavior to fit in with the group.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So, and this begins our, you know, our monumental journey of being human, right? And this journey sort of encompassing, what do I need to do to fit in, to be one of the group, right? And so I think a lot of the times what we do is we is we wear these masks, right, that I have to showcase or demonstrate my worth or do X, Y, and Z to feel the love, compassion, and empathy from others. And in order to do that, I have to wear this mask, right? And I think that, you know, the whole piece with self-efficacy is that understanding and transcending that journey is the process of removing that mask and in it with, with an aspect of self-love and care. And that's a, that's a, that that, that can be a lifelong journey to sort of transcend those those walls and those you know expectations, right? And I think there's a lot to be said about where the ego serves its its purpose within that process as well and its function within our within our relationships because ultimately that mask that we wear that is the layer that really prevents us from the intimacy and love that we as humans as social creatures that that we need right mm-hmm. and, and and that is really what is really truly and fulfilling within our lives so in terms of an educational aspect I think it's it's a it's a slow process of understanding that each and every one of us has a lot to offer not just something but a lot and that we need to make a lot of room for that, that growth and that, and that self care and that self love. Right. And I think, um, you know, as teachers, we can, we can see that a lot within our kids, but how often do we apply that to ourselves as well? Right. So it's a, it's a great journey and I've had some absolutely wonderful conversations with colleagues and, um, it's, you know, it's, it's something that really inspires me. And, and there's a real element of, um, of surrender that has to happen too, right? Because I think what happens a lot of the times is we go around trying to perfect our circumstances, right? And that is an exhausting way to live because there's something that's always going to change, right? And there's something that's always going to happen that we can't control,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? And, and, you know, the sun is hot, water's wet, and life is unpredictable. We, we just don't know what's going to happen right? So there has to be some level of, of surrender that occurs for us to really be truly at peace with ourselves and, and the life that we're living. But yeah, I think, I think that old self-efficacy piece is, <laughs> it rolls into that quite, quite nicely because what we want to serve is, is our worth. And if our worth is based on the clothes we wear, or the way we look or how much money is our bank account or how attractive our partner is or whatever it might be when those things change and ultimately they will mm-hmm. then does our worth change rather than saying my worth is based on my inherent worth as a human being and the love that I have for myself which actually doesn't change or doesn't have to change mm-hmm. right I mean it changes if you base it on those external things that change throughout the world but it doesn't if it's just a reflection of you
0: i've been reading a lot about equity in grading and equity in assessment and what what your response is is with that self-efficacy piece and that that value and that self-worth um that that reflection and that relationship between teacher and student and even removing that barrier and we're just humans learning together, Mm -hmm. it kind of helps us shift our mindsets in, in which ways we can act as the adult in the room to promote that self-efficacy for our students, but also show them the humanity that we're, we're people too. And, Mm -hmm. and we, we're going to make mistakes, but we're going to talk about it and we're going to try it and we're going to keep it. It's a
2: wonderful process, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think we're, yeah, and and if we can just grow to accept that, and even you know as crazy as it sounds, love that, mm-hmm. right? Then where would we be, <laughs> right? And and you know if we were if we were so focused on the the beauty of the mistake rather than the error within it, mm-hmm. right? And and you know the the difference is you know when we're talking about it here, it's very subtle, but ultimately it's quite profound. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to go back to mastery, because I think it's a, it's a term that can be misinterpreted in, in what we mean here. So the question is how does emphasizing mastery in the learning process affect students' motivation and engagement in their education? And, uh, and I really want to define mastery here as in not, not, uh, there's a quote that I read recently, formality is not validity. So when something is formalized in assessment, like we, we talk about the, the exam has to be hidden from students. Mm-hmm. We can't share these answers with them. They can't take it home to review. Increasing that formality is, is not mastery. Mastery is truly practice mm-hmm. and emphasizing the practice and the work and, and those mistakes. So uh, again, the question, how does emphasizing mastery in that sense uh, impact the learning process for students?
2: Right. Well. I- I think motivation is an interesting one, right? I and mean, it's nobody's motivated to do something they're bad at, <laughs> right? If we if we even take in our own our own hobbies and and you know uh, things we like to do on the weekend, typically we you know we're 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 pretty good at them, or at least we're getting better at them as as we go. So I think it's 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 all within the word, and I'm a big believer that that the words we use and the language that we use make up the reality that we live. Right. And I think understanding that the word mastery does encompass a lot of those trials and and errors and, and, and difficulties, right. And the setbacks, um, I think, I think that's a huge part of mastery and that if we can get to the understanding where mastery, isn't just a hundred percent or mastery doesn't mean you're the expert Mm -hmm. that, that it's more along the lines of, because I think. What happens is is that we say mastery as the as the endpoint, right, rather than the process. And so, if we could sort of shift our thinking to that, you know, even even the, the the poor mark or the the dispute within the classroom or the conflict at recess or that is still a part of mastery, and that mastery can can be seen it, at multiple levels and in, in different subject disciplines and different avenues of our life that. Uh, even some of the more difficult things that that might happen throughout the day, and, and maybe somebody teases you and calls you a name, or uh, maybe it's uh, you know performing poorly on on, an, on a standardized exam, right? Whatever it might be, that ultimately those difficulties and those and those trials are actually for our greatest good, right? And it's not woe is me, but a mentality of, okay, right? These are setbacks. So let's see what we're made of here, right? And having the ability to have some resiliency and some resolve uh, is part of that, but also taking into account that life is, is, is the bigger picture and ultimately it serves for your benefit rather than being a victim of it, right? And I think that's that's for me personally that that's a that's a huge mentality and and a huge shift in what has made a difference um you know in my own mental well-being right because yeah things are going to go wrong you know you 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 can't help that right but having the understanding that i don't know what's going to happen but that's okay right and and i'm human and i have my difficulties and i have my imperfections But the more that I'm able to love and embrace them is the greater degree to which I have my own self mastery.
3: What are we still doing that ranking students? You know, I recall a time when I was in elementary school and uh, one of the teachers that I had rank ordered us in terms of the seating arrangement, in terms of who was doing the best compared to who was not doing the best. And you can imagine if you were three or four desks away from the front, well, maybe that motivated you to work harder or try better. But really, if you were that student near the the back, that didn't do anything for your self-esteem. In fact, if anything, it lent stigma. And so when we think of rank order or ranking students, we have to be mindful of, of implicit and unconscious bias. So there are better ways to do that that assessment really needs to be at an individualized level students really need to understand their progressions towards mastery of where they are where we hope they will get and then what supports will we put along the way if i just publicly post that just like in university you know student number and your grade and uh you know it just showed you where you were in terms of top or bottom of the class well if you were near the bottom probably didn't feel too good about yourself Whereas, you know, if you're at the top, you know, look at me. So there is stigma attached to that. And we, we want to be better than that in terms of the mental health and well-being of our students. And so let's stop doing that rank order piece, um, ex, you know, in, explicitly let's stop doing that. Um, bracket our biases and really focus on that individualized feedback to help students with their progressions, their demonstration of what they know and what they can do and what they understand. Um, What do you think?
0: I heard you bring up resilience and and that was in in our next question. Can you speak a bit more to how this this whole process um, does support resilience? And
2: And I think resilience is kind of a double-edged sword in some way because I think it gets bandied around a lot. So I just, just be resilient. You know, come on. Like, (laughs) life sucks. Be resilient. Right. And I think, Uh, out of context, it can do, it could do some harm. Um, But where I see resiliency as, as being a real, a real motivator is understanding the piece of life that is the greater picture and that ultimately life, life is friction. Right. Like like there are there are tough spots. There's there's places where it feels like it's going to grind. But even the most difficult trials um, are ultimately going to serve you in your life. And that that friction is like it's the uh, you know, it's like like a like a a, a gem or a diamond. Right. It's under an immense amount of pressure as a piece of coal and then finally, when it sort of emerges from the earth, it is then, you know, grinded and polished, right? So, you know, life is the process of friction that polishes you into the gem that you are, mm-hmm. right? And that without that bit of tension or, um, you know, feelings of uneasiness at times and that those, uh, those pieces where, um, you know, your, your sympathetic nervous system is firing, like, I got to do something about this, right? Those those are the um, those are the the resolves in life that um, lead you to becoming uh, ultimately a better person, a more well-rounded, a more whole person. And so, if we can frame resiliency in that context, I think we do. I think, I think we do a great service um, to everyone, uh, not just our students. So. You know, our teachers, our support staff, um, um, everyone within our within our buildings and that who we interact with on a a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And I can worry and I can fixate and I can angst or I can be okay with the uncertainty. Right. And like for me, that's like I have to be okay with that, because if not, I would be this, you know, anxious ball of like I have no control right? But control is a mechanism of the ego, right? Because it's that whole piece where, you know, at some point, somebody told you, you weren't enough, Mm -hmm. right? And so along this line, now you're honestly just trying to become enough. And whether it's the acknowledgement of your parents, or the love of your spouse, or whatever it might be, right, we continually find ourselves on this journey of not being enough, right? When the real issue is that, you you believe that you're you're not enough because as humans like we have this lens of inadequacy and scarcity and unfortunately it's like that's like the program model that we get when we're like that's what we download as human beings right and it's it's we're these you know i believe that we're these spiritual beings in a very physical existence and so where does that, where does that land for you? Right. And I, I, like, I, I mean, I have my stories and a lot of things that, that, that hit home for me. Um, but where does that, where does that sit for you? I guess.
0: I I think for, for me with the learning that I've done in this role, like assessment and reporting, yeah. um, and and all the books that I'm reading and a lot of the books talk about equity and culturally responsive practice. And I look back at the things that I did as a teacher in assessment and reporting. Like I was looking back at my course outlines for junior high from 2018 and right in there, I wrote, you get deducted 5% if it's late every day, you get a zero if it's not handed in and, and just thinking back to that moment in time and who my students were mm-hmm. who experienced that. Right. I, I actually had a, a student who didn't hand in his work and I didn't consider what was going on in his life at right. the time when that was happening. And I, now what I know and what I've read, I, I know how damaging a zero can be or how damaging that practice of deduction of grades for just late work is to students and it's it's truly not equitable because just like we would ask for extensions in our jobs Mm -hmm. we we should afford that same
2: yeah yeah absolutely to our
0: students and and uh i probably hurt him right in that policy
2: and that's and and i think the thing that we get to reconcile is that we have it's it's this whole understanding too of what's right and wrong. Right. And that's a hard thing to let go of. Right. And, and a lot of like, when I, sometimes when I'm in front of staff, I I love using the example of because we in our culture have a very clear view of what's right and wrong, but yet it changes a lot. (laughs) Right. And as we could probably tell, especially through, you know, cultural equity and diversity, um, you know, as we sort of enter into this post you know, the post-structural paradigm that is the, the 21st century. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think you hit a lot of pieces there where you're saying this whole idea is that for a long time, assessment was punitive, right? If you didn't do it, it was, you know, it was seen poorly on you. So we have this, like, idea that school is for the idea and execution of curriculum. And, and if academics aren't here, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. right so what's the problem well you're the problem you're the teacher right so okay well as the teacher i'm going to make this the, the, you know this this punitive move here to sort of prompt my students to to make sure that they get everything done and hand it in on time which of course as we know as teachers makes life a lot easier mm-hmm. <laughs> but just sort of back to the idea of, of right and wrong um you know the example i love to give is, to staffs is you know what if um Somebody hits you, somebody rear ends you in traffic. Mm-hmm. Whose fault is that? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Whose fault is it? Everyone, well, of course, it's the person who hit me. Well, why?
0: Because it's a policy.
2: Exactly, right? Because somebody wrote it down that it's like that's, that's their fault, mm-hmm. right? And so my response to that is that didn't you put yourself there? Well, yeah, right? But okay, so did you, did you get up? at a certain times you you know have breakfast or maybe not or walk the dog or maybe not and then leave the house at a certain time or maybe not right and then get stuck at that one particular light right but it ultimately you were in control but you perceived it to be that you weren't because somebody hit you and because a policy says that they're at fault therefore now your response is probably to be very upset or angry, right? And so for, for that reason, it's like, well, you feel justified in your anger. Where I might assert that, well, I would assert is that that's an opportunity for you to see where you don't necessarily have the freedom within your life that you could, right? Because this external influence, this very uncontrollable peace has just landed in your life right now. And it is just thrown off your whole day, your week, your month or whatever. And now you have to deal with this huge problem. Right. And don't get me wrong. That's a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Right. But pain in the butts happen. Right. So either you deal with them or you can lament about them. Right. And I think that once you're able to see past that whole, you know, the, the whole blame game that you, you access another a level of freedom that was, you know, previously unavailable to you, right? And you know, blame is like this pie, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like I want you to eat it, <laughs> but ultimately I'm just scarfing down, right? So it's it's a tough thing to to reconcile at times, especially when we've been told that this is the way our world works and these are the rules by which we are defined, mm-hmm. which is not unlike education, right? And so I think the real opportunity now is to bring this element of wellness that life takes time, right? That that it's not necessarily always defined by deadlines. And don't get me wrong, hey, deadlines help. <laughs> they can get the job done too, right? But but ultimately that that life is a is a is a huge learning process. And it doesn't necessarily stop when you when you leave this, you know, sunction, or this section of time within a class, right? And that there's still lots of learning that happens before, uh, during it recess or after school and on the weekends, right? So there's there's a whole element that I think of of wellness that can be interwoven within schools, that can be easily accessible. We were
0: speaking to policy and how policy um, can be flexed at times, mm-hmm. and and that flexing so that we can allow for the humanity of of what we do as educators to come through in our decision-making and in our teaching practice.
2: Right. And I, I think, yeah, what we're hitting on here is just sort of being a responsive educator and in whatever context it fits uh, the big thing for me personally, and something that I've found has been a huge impact as a consultant and, and especially as a teacher too, I should say, uh, is that when I go into a classroom or a teacher asks me out to come to come serve or whatever it might be, the first thing I do um, is listen, right? And I think if we all had one superhero power um, that we could that we could really flex as as teachers would be our ability to do just that is to listen. So w- whether it's a, an extension for you know a deadline. Or maybe it's a it's a practice in, you know, grading and assessment. Right. I, I think the biggest thing we can do is be responsive and, and to listen to what the concerns are and then be able to make uh, a judgment based on that. Right. Rather than being very, very rigid and, and don't get me wrong, policies, they, they serve a purpose and they are, you know, they're they're kind of the guideline and, you know, the the, the answer to the question. Um, but certainly, being able to be flexible in our responses, but still maintain uh, a standard of integrity, is still very important. And a lot of what we do um, as 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 educators and and as consultants is to try and be able to create a, a high standard of of learning with a great deal of compassion.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I think, I think sort of pairing those two is something that, um, it's, it's, it's an ongoing process and, uh, it's, 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 it's an exciting one for me mm-hmm. and one that, one that I'm certainly passionate about.
0: And it doesn't happen by accident. It takes a lot of reflection. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of planning Yeah, and, and discussion with other colleagues because, because we know that we have implicit biases and if we're not engaging in conversation with other educators or, or even people outside of our field where we're not always seeing those biases right. as we're moving in this, this.
2: Yeah. They're, they're, they're just, they're inherent. Right. And it's, it's really what they are is just their blind spots. Right. And you don't know they're, you don't even know they're there mm-hmm. until somebody makes you aware of them. Right. And certainly, um, you know, even when you go to, uh, like let's say a, a new school, right? There are so many things that are hidden that that you don't know until you actually get into the building and start working with uh, working with students that you just you just don't know. They're they're completely hidden from you. But again, I I believe a lot in the fact that that life is this giant game of transcending. Those inherent biases and those hidden, those those blind spots that that exist within our life, so that we can we can really um, truly start to shape and define and live our lives with a lot of a lot of love and integrity within that love.
0: A lot of the equity efforts and uh, grading reform. Texts speak about uh, bringing students into that. You see that? Yeah, it fell over. It's clearly speaking to us. <laughs> <laughs> into uh, bring conversation into the classroom and and that that release of control and that students are are having more voice and choice in mm-hmm. the classroom. And one strategy that I've learned over time that I or method of teaching that I've learned over time that really allows this is inquiry based teaching and learning and I think it gets a bad rap because sometimes we think it's like oh free for all right students just go for it but when you read about inquiry-based teaching and learning it's it's actually that whole process of having students ask questions and allowing them to ask these questions so that we can guide learning that's meaningful to them
2: um, yeah I, and I think that's a great place to start and it's kind of um it's kind of ironic this is the, the uh this book the field was was knocked over cuz um this book is specifically about all of uh, or a lot of outlying research, scientific research and clinical studies that are out there that um aren't necessarily the most mainstream pieces that that are um put together quite well actually by Lynn McTaggart. She's a she's a journalist. Um but she, she's put together this sort of conglomerate of all of these sort of outlying scientific studies about things that aren't necessarily first understood or accepted by kind of the, the Newtonian physics that, that, we, that we know it today. So it's, um, it's, it's interesting that you, that you kind of bring up that point. Uh, about inquiry-based learning, because a, a lot of the studies that are done in here are inquiry, but they're inquiry on, on another level that we might not necessarily see as, as necessarily tangible. Right. I'll give you I'll give you one example. It's a, it's a really it's a really cool experiment is what they did was essentially they took participants and they uh, they they just draw they drew some blood from them. Right. And I said, this is your blood. Right. And what they did is then they then mixed it with salt, right? So they, they just sort of increased the level of a saline solution that was poured into it and just monitored at what level did the, the blood cells burst or die, right? And then they just sort of had that as their benchmark. And then they asked the, the individual who they took the blood from was to concentrate on the blood as they increased the, uh, the salinity of it. And they said, try to keep your blood cells intact for as long as you can. And sure enough, in every study that happened, they actually the blood cells were actually able to take larger levels of salinity when somebody was concentrating on it, hmm. right? Which to me speaks to uh, a lot of the power of, of our thoughts and our prayers mm-hmm. and our actions, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating book. I, I would just highly recommend it, but it's interesting that you bring it up in the process of inquiry, right? Because that started with just an inquiry, like I wonder if, or what would happen if, right? The context is there, the environment is there, but we're sort of setting up the avenue of give it your best creative thought and make it a creative thought that's authentic to you because that's what you're gonna find genuinely interesting. And from that genuine interest, you can just go a whole lot further, with um, whatever it is you're deciding to study, then you could, had it just been this prescribed level of, hey, take this on, right, Mm -hmm. and see how it goes, right? You know, and and I think that, too, brings in a level of of efficacy as well, right? Because as an individual, a student, uh, a teacher, you're gonna be much more involved and much more engaged if you feel the ownership, right? And I'm sure we can all relate to that on on some level
0: i'm hearing mindset matters in that response and um john Hattie in his meta-analysis of uh 250 i don't remember the exact number just right a now. lot of
2: papers a lot of academic <laughs> <But> <laughs> research right <laughs> the
0: research uh, in the top the top two is teacher collective efficacy so that that belief that we can
1: mm-hmm. the belief
0: that we can impact student learning is is very effective so do you have anything to to share with us on mindset
2: well yeah and and i think you know we could probably spend a whole other podcast just (laughs) (laughs) i think we i think we've touched on on some pieces and some understanding um but certainly the, the whole idea is that um you know like it's the idea of, of reaching your potential or living up to your potential, which is actually impossible, right? No one, have you ever met anyone who's been like, yes, I am at my potential, right? Like <laughs> I am here. I'm at the top of the mountain. No, it's, it's a never ending mountain if we think of it that way. But what we do become as we, as we hit setbacks, as we, as we go through difficulties, as we, as we face life is a more evolved version of ourselves. And I think if, for for me, that's been a a powerful understanding is that no matter what's happening, I am just continually evolving and refining, uh, you know, who I am as a person. And that to me is a great deal of, of self-love. And through that process, you know, uh, you know, I've been able to do a, a lot of things that I, that I might not have, you know, envisioned or even dreamed maybe five, 10 years ago, including, you know, sitting here with you right now, right? So it's it's the understanding that yes, really resiliency is important, and having kind of a growth mindset is is important. But um, understanding the the value and the worth that that you have, and really just digging in and 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 loving some of those things, uh, even if they are our, our biggest fears and insecurities, right? Because as humans, we, we we make mistakes and I think we just need, I think we, meet, as, as people, I think we need more tools to connect ourselves to ourselves rather than connecting ourselves to our insecurities and our fears, which I feel is quite often the bait of social media because it digs into the idea that we're not enough and this is what it should be if you're enough, right? And so... For me, as, as an educator, as, um, as a consultant, I like seeing things that help people connect with themselves rather than connect with what they're not.
0: So we're going to end on maybe some practical paths for, for schools. A new curriculum is one of them. We, we've heard um, <gasps> that some of those
2: <laughs> Shocker. outcomes in, in
0: Pew are, are, are pushing into this realm and, yeah. and helping scaffold that for us mm-hmm. as teachers.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, if if I've worked on a lot of curriculum crates, that's (laughs) (laughs) I feel that's an out of place plug from where we've been where we've been working, but uh, but certainly in terms of I, I think the practical essence here is start with you, right, start with you, whether whether it's, you know, picking up something that you're passionate about or you've been passionate about in the past. Right, but or, or or maybe it's you know cleaning out that laundry room of things right that, that you needed to take care of or maybe it's it's gardening or how, whatever it could be sports right like what is that thing that you carve out for you and that helps you you determine and and, and really set the self-worth button to that inherent piece rather than the external world right I, I think, there is no greater service that you can do for your students than being well in your own capacities, right? Um, and I don't think anybody, you know, you I don't think you can teach wellness or, or no wellness if you're not well or feeling well yourself. So, in terms of the practical pieces, um, figure out what you love. What do you want to do? Do you want to be active? You know, maybe it's it's uh, it's it's read a book, listen to a podcast like this. Uh, meditate or pray or however it is go to church right like whatever it is that, that that sets into you a feeling of i'm okay with life and i'm okay with me then dig into that and and really and really feel it out so i think if there's one thing that i could offer the audience that yeah. would be it I'll start with you yeah absolutely and i think i think once that happens is that once once you have the the idea to you, right, rather than going out and, and chasing things and fixing circumstances and trying to perfect life itself, instead life comes to you, right? And that is a profoundly different experience than chasing insecurity, inadequacy, and mm-hmm. fear, right? Rather than saying, what do I have to do to be part of the group? Well, I'm already part of the group, so I can wait for the group to come to me too, mm-hmm. right? And that, And that I think is a huge a huge, uh, yeah, paradigm shift.
0: Yeah. I'm going to have to keep reflecting on that one.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and I've reflected on it for a long time, <laughs> so I could speak to it. <laughs> COVID, COVID did a lot of things to me too. Right. Um, so, so yeah. And, and certainly like, I would kind of highlight some of these ones we've talked about the field. Um, the body keeps the score, uh, der Vanderkoop, he did a great job in, um, Highlighting the distinction and understanding that the, the things that happen that that we we hold on to within our minds actually have a physical and real impact on our bodies, mm-hmm. right? And it's not the separation of mind body, but but you know the, the pieces that they are interwoven and and work together, right? And that um, actually there's a kind of a, a Hindu piece here that that brings in the understanding that all disease is just the absence of ease right and that if something comes into our system and where we continually bring into our system whether it's physical or emotional right and, and first we start with accumulation and then we get to aggravation and then it's sort of like this manifestation within us so this this book actually takes kind of a very a very scientific a very dsm mm-hmm. uh approach and sort of highlights where um where the traumas of life are hidden and stored within our bodies themselves. So, very interesting read. And then one of my um, personal, I would say, my teachers in in Krishnamurti. Um, very good uh, philosophical piece on understanding that a lot of the times we are just the byproduct of our subconscious wiring, and that those subconscious actions quite often take place without us even knowing it. Right, and it's the understanding that like why do always things or why do things in life always happen to me like this? Right. The idea of, well, I'm going to try and fix my life. But the truth of the matter is that you don't get the life you want by trying to fix the one you don't want. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, again, that's, that's another, when I, when I read that, I was like, I don't understand this. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Because as, as humans, we're, we're just, we're chasing all the time. Right. We're trying to fix things. Right. When, when, you know, we looked at that, you know, that student in kindergarten and grade one, they're saying, well, there's nothing wrong with me, mm-hmm. right? And that's the truth about it. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me, mm-hmm. right? My problem is that I see a problem yeah. more often than not.
0: Yeah. So we'll have all three of these book titles in the description if any of our listeners want to go check them out. Um, and before we end off, this is a question that I'm I'm looking at asking all of our guests is um, and it's a big one so answer it how you will what is a dream you have for education
2: well and I think we touched a lot on that and I think my dream for education is that well first that we we get an understanding well wellness is right and and we have kind of a, a unified um, piece of that and there and there are different you know there's there's wellness, you know, defined in kind of you know in kind of the scholastic piece in two different camps, one being sort of the idea that you know it it makes you feel good, mm-hmm. right? And then the other camp being sort of like based on your your morals, your identity, and your goals that that's the way you're living your life, right? And and to to the to the merits of of both, um, I think I think there's there's room for a lot of us to grow in in our own understanding of of wellness for ourselves so what i would love to see for education is that wellness becomes a ubiquitous part of our our day and that the curriculum standards that exist are they're mapped within wellness rather than opposed to or wellness is on the side of so that would be my i think big big dream and and big goal wellness not just for students but for teachers and for everybody else in in the building, our support staff, our custodians, our admin assistants, right? Like Mm -hmm. everyone who sets foot in the building, even our parents, right? So um yeah, that would be my big, big goal and and big dream and Mm -hmm. (laughs) big love.
0: (laughs) Wellness as an umbrella to
2: everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 yeah, it's just something uh, when was the last time you felt vitality, Mm -hmm. right? And because I think a lot of the times we throw around the word health, right? And you know, in terms of our physiology, I think health is just sort of the, the general maintenance of what's going on within our body, where I think what we should be striving for is, you know, being able to, to, to seize and embrace the, the vitality that we all have, no matter what age we're at.
0: Well, thanks for sharing uh, today, Brett, I'm sure our listeners. And I know for myself, I've, I, I'm have i walking away with so many different thinking points and, and reflection pieces. So thanks for being on. Oh, my pleasure.
2: Yeah, it's been great. And uh, hopefully we'll get to do it again sometime. For sure. Excellent.
0: We're now at the end of the episode. Before we sign off, I would like to extend a huge thank you to Brett Barron for talking to us about wellness and well-being and providing us many different ways we can reflect on how we take care of ourselves in education. Thank you to both Nicole Lafreniere and Tim Cusack for their segments. And last but not least to you, our listeners, thank you for tuning in to our episodes here on The Learning Curve. A reminder, we're releasing episodes bi-weekly with each episode featuring different voices and perspectives. Please like, and subscribe to this channel to stay up to date with each release. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at ecsdlearning, our YouTube channel at Ecsd Learning, and check out our many resources on our SharePoint site, bit.ly backslash assessment All three links are in the episode description. Lastly, we want to hear from you both on Spotify and on Instagram. Please share with us your classroom experiences with assessment or anything that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. That's our time. See you next week on The Learning Curve.